from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. Tiny House Podcast. This is Perry. Hi, this is Michelle. And Mark is not with us today. Where is Mark? Mark is in Vegas, baby. Lying naked and fat and happy with his wife by the pool. <laughs> Thank you for the visual. Drinking till his <laughs> his liver can take no more. Until his liver gives out. Yeah. His, uh, Thanks for the visual there, <laughs> yeah, Perry. Sure I'm sure he'll appreciate that. He will too. We get to talk bad about him because he's not here today. I know. That's the best part, <laughs> actually, about right. the part <laughs> today. Who's going to fill in his witty sense of humor? I know. And We're going to have to play rock, paper, scissors. Or something. <laughs> Um, wow, so it's been an interesting day already. Um, been insulted on my bike ride to work. Ah, that sucks. It does suck. It's okay. Life is good. Have you seen the Portlandia episode of The Biker? I have not. Oh, so you have to see that then. What happens? Um, it's an exchange between, between this guy who's on his bicycle and riding to work and having interactions with the cars around him. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me a little of the story you told me about your interaction this morning. So, um, but it might, it might put actually a little bit of, uh, giggle to your story. You'll go like, yeah, that's kind of how it was. And it's kind of crazy. I'll have to look it up. So, um, tiny house podcast listeners, we have a, an amazing guest today. And it's interesting how this came about. Michelle doesn't know this, so I'm going to tell this story right now. So David Latimer is one of the um, principals of a tiny house, new tiny house manufacturing company called New Frontier Tiny Homes. And um, just last week, actually, I was watching, my my wife and I, we record um, Tiny House Big Living, I think it's called. Is that right, Michelle? Yes. Yeah, that's it. And um, last week... I don't know if this was the first time it aired, but we saw um, David working on his, um, his what's it called? He calls it the Model 1 Alpha uh, tiny house. And my wife and I were blown away at how beautiful this house was and the fact that he put a garage door on this thing. And <clears throat> after the show, I said to myself, I've got to find a way to get him on the tiny house podcast. Oh, that is right. And that is really weird well, and serendipitous. Yes. And so I, I, but I took no action whatsoever other than saying that. <laughs> and then coming into the show this morning, he's listed as the guest today. <laughs> well, it's also kind of unusual how I, how I sort of found him for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. The tiny house movement is getting huge. Yes. It's just getting so big. <clears throat> and I thought I knew everybody. And as it turns out, I really don't. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anybody. <laughs> I know. So I, I fe- lately I've sort of felt like I've exhausted my network, right? So I actually reached out to Andrew Odom yesterday and uh, said, Andrew, I've reached the extent of my influence on my network. Can you please sort of pull some names out of a hat? Can you recommend someone that you know, someone that's going to answer your email when you tell him, hey, Michelle's going to call you about the <laughs> podcast? Um and so that's how this all happened. Um, we had a spot open today. I, you know, emailed Andrew and said, "Hey, can you help me with this?" And so, so yeah, very weird, yeah. very weird, serendipitous sort of story. Well, and and even weirder now, David keeps dropping. That's what that sound is in the background. Is David dropped while we were we were talking, and then he called us back, and now he dropped again. So let me see if I can get him back 
on. We love technical issues. Oh my gosh, yeah. That's what makes this show, really. So I haven't seen, um, I haven't seen this episode of Tiny House, Big Living, yeah. um, but the pictures on the website um, are just—they're beautiful. They're really, aren't they? they're really, really pretty. The setting, everything about them. Yeah. So let's see if we got David. David, you there? I'm here. Hey. Hey. So um, what happened with that drop there? A couple times. Is uh, everything okay? I'm not sure. Yeah, everything's okay. I mind. Um, right, not cool. sure what's going on. I'm no. here. All right, good. So um, you heard you heard the backstory there. Did you hear the backstory? Uh, m- most of it, most yes. Of, okay. So your background, I think this is going to be a fantastic show because your background is so apropos uh, with regard to the types of people that we talk, talk with uh, on this show. Um, but first, I have to ask you a question. Your uh, Skype profile has you in a very interesting um, ensemble. What, what is that? Uh, <laughs> Um, I'd say if I had to describe my style, it would be a psychedelic cowboy. Um, oh, <laughs> that was you that I met last year at the Tiny House Jamboree. Totally was. Totally oh. was yes, uh, I have a picture <laughs> of you on my Facebook. Okay. In that outfit, <laughs> I bet. Outfit? I think it's that outfit, that exact outfit. Um, I, that was you. For some reason, I had pegged you <laughs> as an Australian. <laughs> <laughs> I get that a lot, actually. <laughs> really? Like, for some reason, I had in my head that it was an Australian. So I looked at your picker, picture, and I thought, well, you're very recognizable. Mm-hmm. But I was like, no, that can't be the same guy, because that other guy, who's from Australia. Is that, a, is, that a, <laughs> is that a, do they call them curtains that you're wearing there? Like a mandress? I think mandra- it's got a lot of different, yeah, I got a lot of different names. It, it's definitely mandress. But I got it in, uh, in Chicago, up on a street called Devon. There's, it's like a really... Uh, concentrated Pakistani yep. and Indian neighborhood. Yep. And so it's lovely. I, I love it up there. So I go and shop there whenever I'm in Chicago. Oh, nice. first time we've ever said yeah. man dress. Or actually said it a few times <laughs> on the Tiny House podcast. <laughs> See, as, again, for, for as huge as this Tiny House movement is, there's still a, an almost direct path to everybody. Yeah. And in fact, it's, it's uncanny even because um, this next month I'm going to get married and um, my... I did I'm, not know that. I am. And what I think I'm, I'm wearing... Offended. Well, my wife, it's a... It's a, it's a, it's a oh, I see. <laughs> not on the air. Okay. <laughs> we'll not take that offline. Um, but the, the... So my wife and I are married legally, but we haven't had our ceremony yet. Oh, and, there we go. And I will be wearing a man dress, actually. Oh, yeah. that is so cool. Yeah. Sweet. I love those things. Well, thank you very much. So, but this show isn't about me. This is about you, David. So, um, <laughs> tell us how how did you get? First of all, I need to say you're a very handsome man, and you look great in a tool <laughs> belt. Um, and well, thank you. And when I you had were no choice in that, okay. <laughs> and when you were banging out this tiny house, it seemed like you knew what the hell you were doing. You knew your way around a hammer. So, how did you get into the movement? And uh, uh, it looks like you had some spiritual epiphanies. Also, tell us the story of how you got into the movement. Sure, sure. Um, so this is a, a very, I'm not very good at being um, short and succinct sometimes, but I'll do my very best, just as a disclaimer. <laughs> um, my father uh, does affordable housing, and he has the oldest affordable nonprofit for affordable housing in Nashville. So in high school, my first job was doing construction in the summer, so doing framing and um, building different houses, like in <clears throat> in urban in an urban setting in Nashville. Um, so that's how I got my, my start with, you know, carpentry and construction building. Um, and it's just one of those things that kind of always did a little bit on the side here and there. Um, 
and then got into kind of furniture design, more like interior design and building out restaurants, bars and uh, nightclubs when I was in Chicago. Um, but how I got into tiny houses is, uh, so I studied literature, philosophy and university. And after graduating, I chose a life of experience over any one career path. So I backpacked around um, Europe on a shoestring uh, for about six months and then lived in New York for almost three years, then Africa for a year, and then Chicago for about six years. Um, family and an opportunity to open a bar restaurant in Nashville um, brought me back down here. And that was a disastrous, disappointing, crushing experience. Um, and learned a lot uh, about what not to do, but it really forced me into a time of very deep introspection. Um, I was really anxious all the time. I felt really dissatisfied and um, inadequate and just you know a lot of common human traits or human experiences. Um, but it's, it's always kind of ridiculous for uh, when I see us people, you know, Westerners in very affluent nations, the worst of our circumstances are way better than the best of, you know, most of the population in the world's best, you know, best circumstances. So just really like the lack of gratitude that I experienced day to day, uh, but, you know, really bothered me. So I, I started, I just dove into all sorts of different self-help books. Um, I really got into mindfulness and so started practicing meditation, basically Vipassana and then some guided meditations. Um, and it was, that was a, a big game changer for me. I mean, meditation is one of those things. It's like, it's, you can be terrible at it. I'm still really bad at it, <laughs> but the benefits are immense. Up, mm -hmm. You know, you, you experience the benefits very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but dur during that time, so, you know, I've always been driven by why, why, like incessantly asking, why do we do this? Why do we do that? And <clears throat> at, that's just going through my head. And during this time, I come across the tiny house movement. Um, Nashville has experienced a, just an explosion of population growth, like a lot of cities like Portland, mm -hmm. Austin, Seattle, a lot of cities throughout the country. And um, for all the economic opportunity that provides, uh, it you know equally, if not more, um, displaces just whole neighborhoods of people, whole demographics of people. And so seeing that change firsthand, um, you know, it was very alarming and unsettling. Um, and just seeing prices, you know, housing prices skyrocket, like in 2013, you know, the, the, the median rental listing for a house in Davidson County, which is where Nashville is, it was 890 a month by September, 2014, it was 1300. And that's a, almost a 50% increase. Wow. And that's just con continues happened, to yeah, here in Portland too. Yeah. It's same thing in Portland. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it worse in Portland, you know, yeah, you are a little worse. ahead of us on yep. a lot of levels. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly smarter population than we have, but that's a, another subject for another time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, um, so I just, my, my father, um, who's, you know, nearing retirement age, kind of told me about tiny houses and I was like, what are these things? And then I opened the Pandora's box and black hole that is Pinterest. <laughs> tiny houses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I fell head in um, and just got obsessed and started looking at these things and just the, 
you know, I mean, no one thing, right? No one thing can solve our, all of our problems. No right. one thing can change how we decide to think about the world, how we, you know, change our perspective, how we decide to respond to the, you know, stimuli in our lives. Um, but, you know, the, the kind of a mantra of mine has been that line from Hamlet, uh, is nothing either good or bad, but the mind makes it so. Yeah. Yeah, that that law of averages. You know, you're the you're the average of the five pe- people you spend the most time with. Um, well, you're also the average of, and I've, this is all from my personal experience looking at my own life. I'm also the average of the habits of thought and action that I have. So, I really just realized that if I want to live in a different way, and changing is really hard. You know, it's really hard to change as a person. And if I want to live in a different way, in a, in a way that really does benefit and improve the lives of those people I come in contact with, you know, whether as acquaintances, strangers, family, friends, then I've got to kind of reconstruct and redesign my life. And the tiny house, just that the intentional living, you know, the ideals behind it, the intentional living, um, the, the mindfulness, the conscious consumption, the, um, the restraint as a liberating property of the size of the homes. Um, you know, you just can't have a bunch of crap that you don't need. And it really forces you to look within. There's something about them that invites you inside when you're on the outside and invites you to go forth into the world um, when you're on the outside. To me, they, they really cultivate autonomy, um, fiscal responsibility, eliminating debt, uh, but also community. They do a great job of, they can really inspire great community. So these are all values that are extremely important to me and defining, uh, you know, who I am and who I want to be. And I, I, and then also great design, you know, just the, I think so much of our experience in our lives starts with our home, you know, and the home is, is started in a house. And so the, the ability, like just the ability to have great design, how much our environment that we live in affects us and affects our, our unconscious existence, which informs most of our actions and thoughts, um, and just tiny houses are a beautiful, beautiful kind of embodiment of all these different ideals uh, in a new way, a way that hasn't been done before. And, you know, it's a it's a paradigm shift that's badly needed um, in our civilization. And it's just a really exciting, inspiring thing to see so many people from all different demographics be so incredibly enamored and drawn to these things. So it's it's just... A fantastic to hear you talk because you cover all the points that we believe wholeheartedly here at the Tiny House Podcast. Um, I want to, we, we're probably going to have to have you on a, a couple of times because you've said so much and there's so much good stuff that you've said. But for since this is our first time having you on, and, and I hope you would be open to being on again. Um, Absolutely. Okay, great. Let's let's start from the beginning. We haven't pissed him off yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's, let's st- we haven't offended him. I don't think we can him. because he meditates. <laughs> um, let's. No, let- I, I love y'all's irreverence. Okay. <laughs> okay, exactly. How that works? Someone pisses you off, you go meditate exactly. in the corner. So I'm gonna work on that. So what what was it what was it about your experiences early on that had you choose the life of experiences over the life of like consumption and materialism because most people um they go the other route and so i'm curious to hear how you made that choice if if it was conscious sure um yeah i, I know i rambled for about 10 minutes it's just okay there, it was so. beautiful <laughs> it was beautiful <laughs> i agree right on um yeah so i think uh, you know a lot of it it's uh a lot of the way I was raised, you know, I was raised to, um, to look, be constantly aware of people who are, 
uh, who are in worse off situations, you know, whether economically or whatever. And I, because of my dad's work, we lived in, in downtown, like near downtown Nashville, and I lived right on the edge of a really rough neighborhood. And I would spend my weekends going to play literally like in the projects and play football and sports, and I was a good athlete. And then <clears throat> I went to school at a, like a private school, kind of almost almost in the suburbs, and it was like mostly white people. So I had a really unique experience seeing different demographics and being exposed to an early age to poverty, to the realities of poverty, and to the fact that I am incredibly blessed and that gratitude is an important, very, very vital, important thing to actively pursue and to practice. So I think that that just awareness um, and again, like I said, I'm just kind of naturally wired to incessantly ask why. I was that really annoying kid that's like, but why do I have to do that? Why do I have to do that? And I'm, I'm naturally defiant too. So when someone tells me because I say so, whew, that's a good way to get me not to do what you want me to do. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how so. it's am- I can relate to that. Like this week and last week and the week before. Michelle's been having some of that same issue. <laughs> I have, I have. And, and I'm a full-grown adult. You'd think I wouldn't have to deal with that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, me, yeah, me too. Um, does that answer your question? I mean, and then I kind of just like, yeah, just so just, I think a, 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 I just care about people too. And that, and that like, I don't know, I just, I am happiest when the people around me are happiest, whether I know them or not, whether mm-hmm. the strangers or, or my closest, you know, most dearly beloveds. Um, it just, it's better. Harmony is wonderful. And, I, you know, discord, unnecessary discord, uh, I want to avoid that. And I want to try to cultivate something that, that helps mend that when it happens um, or addresses it when, it when it does come up. So, yeah, go on. Uh, sorry, I was going to ask. So, so when you, so it sounds like you had the opportunity to see like the urban struggle of, Absolutely. Of blacks and other minorities. But then you also went to private school. Your your father owned a a development company basically for for low income housing, you said? Yeah. Okay. So so it's okay. So you had you and you might not be able to put your finger on this, but you have this it seems like you have this experience of like you said, seeing both sides of the fence, so to speak, but you chose not initially you chose not to go the route of like following in your father's footsteps or um some other material route you chose this experiential thing do you do you know why you chose that because like i said most people come to that late in their life right most most of us sort of follow that conventional path graduate from high school go to college maybe get married have kids buy a house make money you know kind of how did i get here yeah that yeah exactly and then later on in life they're like okay wait a minute i've been buying off on this my whole life and this is just not working so um yeah so perry's like how did you get to be so smart so early (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if it's, I wouldn't say it's smart. I'd say that I've had great mentors, teachers, and people in my life to not let me become a shithead and to teach me the value of humility um, and w- wisdom, really. Like, you don't hear people talk about wisdom. And my, my parents, you know, when I would do something wrong, they would send me to my room and tell me what I did, why I did it very clearly, and give me like a little proverb or something that was pertinent to what I did. So wow. that was, I was actively taught. Um, and so, and I naturally became, you know, began to actually actively seek it. Um, I, you know, I think from, you know, I've always been 
uh, an armchair philosopher, and I think from a young age, again, that, that incessant asking why. For me, from a young age, and I think this happens with youth, and I think if we just bring this out in our youth uh, and cultivate it, in the same way that like you can learn any language in the world very easily from a young age, we're so impressionable when we're young. We teach, we teach these values and expose kids to different cultures and ideals and teach the importance of acceptance and, and diversity and, you know, it takes all kinds to make a world, and that our differences is what makes it inter- makes us interesting. It makes it interesting to be a human being. Um, and that's 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 a beautiful thing, and that's a, a, I think a, a way to improve just our way of interacting with each other and our way of perceiving each other. So, for me, from a young age, I always saw the book, you know, because of how I was taught, and part of this is just my nature, you know, things that I don't have any, I had no choice over. But I I always saw the inherent value of human beings being completely the same, regardless of race, creed, gender, sexual preference, you know, these things, like, it's just, we're, we are all human beings. No one is better or worse in, in, you know, inherently than anyone else. And yeah, is there good and is there evil? Of course. Yes, absolutely. Are there terrible people? Yes. Are there good people? Yes. But I think inherently there's no, the value comes from us as humans, Period, you know, not, and, and again, the, the different, so I'm just, and I'm curious, I'm interested in like, I've been, always been interested, I get, part of it is I get bored easily, but mm-hmm. I'm interested in different cultures and different music and different food. And I just, I like to try new things. Um, and that was, you know, luckily, thankfully I was exposed to different things growing up from a young age and, you know, realized that that was a fun and exciting thing to do. So I got I got really into trying different things, and um, I realized, I, I, so my school was really small, small private school, and I was a, you know, a small little community, and I got really tired of being in, in, in the South, you know, in Nashville, and I got really tired of being um, just in this, like, really constrictive, small, everyone knows your business community, where everyone's the same, and um, quickly grew to find wealthy white people to be the most boring demographic in the world. Um, (laughs) Bar none, especially Southern wealthy white people. Um, (laughs) There are exceptions to every rule, of course. (laughs) um, That's okay. We don't discriminate who we discriminate against either. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah, so I just, I'm I'm deeply romantic too, and I was always really drawn to like Europe and, um, you know, that whole early 20th century kind of, um, you know, movable feasts, Gertrude Stein, Ernest Hemingway kind of thing. And, and just the, just the, the multiculturalism of Europe. And so I, uh, I've always wanted to go over there and that was kind of my, my first taste of international travel. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And, to, and so just as much as I possibly can, just getting out to a different experience because the world is huge is immense and the universe is huge and immense. And, it used to scare me when I was young how big it is and how when you compare any one of us or even all of us to the size and the immensity, the vastness of the universe, that was that used to scare me. Now it's like the most liberating and comforting thing I can possibly think of. You know, it's like there is no right way to live. There's no right culture. You know, they're all it's all relative to what the majority of people within a given context and time and place, you know, say is normal. Normalcy is is, is just that, you know. So Seeing, just seeing these differences in, in how we 
worship, how we eat, how we dress, you know, how we look. It's just, it's so beautiful. It's so wonderful and it's so inspiring. And it, it's so humbling too. And it just really like puts things in perspective and helps me to get out of that, you know, that habit of, of, of just messaging that your the, the brain defaults to of, I need to do, be better at this. I'm not, I don't, you know, the envy thing, the cult of envy that is American pop culture and, and, you know, social media and all that stuff is like, well, this person's doing this, this person's doing that. I should be doing this. It's like, no, 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 no. We have everything we need. And if we quit focusing on what we lack instead of focusing on what we have to be thankful for, it just shifts our experience of life so much. Yeah. It, it has for me at least. Yeah. I'm going to ask one of my famous multi-part questions. So take out a pencil and get some notes. Get get ready here. So okay. um, I'm going to go back to something that you said. First, I'm going to go back to something that you said about being happiest when the people around you are happy. And I'm going to put it in the context of, of um, when we <coughs> met last year at the Tiny House Jamboree. Can you talk a little bit about the Tiny House movement about the feeling, um, you know, it was almost a religious experience. I'm, I'm very interested in hearing your perspective um, on that and, and how you felt being in that place at that time. And then secondarily, I, I also want you to put that in context of timeline. So so where we, we sort of talked a little bit about your early influence and your travel and, and your philosophy. So let's put, um, can we put a timeline? Like where were you at the time that I met you? Um, can you give us a little bit more perspective there? Yeah, sure. Um, so last, uh, when was it? The beginning of August mm -hmm. last year? Yep. Yeah, so I had decided that I wanted to um, spend my waking hours, you know, pushing forward the tiny house movement and building tiny homes. And I was in the process of, you know, trying to put together resources and um, just research and um, figure out exactly you know, what I wanted to do. It was me and me and my father initially. Um, and so he, you know, and, and I had gone to a tumbleweed workshop, uh, that previous winter. And so it gotten kind of a, that was my initial boot camp for tiny houses and gave me some structure to how to, you know, to performing further research. And, um, so I hadn't, I hadn't started building anything at that point. And, Honestly, like felt like when I first went out there, felt like kind of intimidated, like, oh man, all these people are so much further along than me. They know so much more than me, you know, mm. do I, do I belong here? You know, can I do this? Um, so all these like, you know, fears and self doubts and all those things. And I was just blown away at, I mean, first of all, the sheer volume and numbers of people, um, I was expecting it to be, you know, a few thousand and kind of just be low key. It was just packed with people. Um, but it had a, just a spirit of inclusiveness, this, this spirit of possibility, just seeing all these people who are curious in living in a different way in a paradigm shift from, you know, the, just the status quo of, you know, wealthy America, um, it is just so inspiring. So, and, and just also the, inclusiveness of the thought leaders in the tiny home community and accessibility of those people. Um, y'all, y'all for one, Michelle, you for one. Um, oh, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. It, just that it was really like, okay, this is the people I want to be around. These aren't like self-conscious, self-important people. These are people who are value driven, um, and share, you know, values that I think make life better and certainly cater to the marginalized and the disenfranchised. And, so, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, th does that answer your question? 
Yeah, yeah, that absolutely does. So you were just technically just starting. So isn't so this year yeah. has been epic for you. I mean, in that regard, right? Yeah, absolutely, very epic. How how um, did how did that happen? How did you produce or what 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 things came together that produced the twelve months that you've just recently had? Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's um, I feel very fortunate and thankful for it. Um, so one is I think. Uh, you know, just the, the encouragement I got from a lot of people just reading and, and learning about them, just saying, just go for it. You're never going to be where you want to be. You're never going to know all you need to know. You're never going to, you know, you're never going to be in this ideal state. So you just got to try and go for it full force and know that you're going to make mistakes. And that that's part of the, pro- a very important, critical part of the process. So I think that one, getting over my perfectionism and fear and fear of failure and just going for it and doing so like you can be confident about the things you don't know. You can just say, look, I, if, I feel like the, we're, sometimes we're scared of admitting what we don't know because we want to paint ourselves as experts in something. And I, I, that just bothers me. It bothers me about the, it's what turned me off from the business world so much. And what turns me on to the entrepreneur community so much is just like this honesty and openness of I'm, I'm not good at this. I have weaknesses. Here they are, you know, and here are my strengths and that's okay. It's okay to be honest. It's okay to just say where you're at and and share what's going on. So I think that, that just, I started talking about it. I started just really passionate and I'm very passionate about it. So I, and I think people are naturally drawn to that, that honesty and that unbridled raw passion. And so, you know, just in, in working, as hard as I possibly could, working all the time, just trying to to learn as much as I could and absorb and, and listening. Listening is critical. I'm, I'm not doing that much in this podcast, but um, <laughs> you're not supposed to. That's right. You're supposed nope. to talk. We <laughs> no, listen. <laughs> no one wants to listen to us. So, I do. <laughs> uh, but well, I'll tell you a little story. So last night I was uh, at a bar actually, and we were we were I kind of had the same conversation. I think that people bond more authentically from a position of vulnerability than a position of, of sort of authority. strength and authority. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I appreciate that uh, willing to say, hey, this is where I'm at and these are my flaws and this is what I got going on and you can accept me. And I think people are more drawn to vulnerability. I actually learned that lesson. I do speech writing and actually learned that lesson a few years ago when I was giving speeches and um, get on stage and I'm like all that in a bag of chips. And um, suddenly I wrote this one, I wrote this one speech um, from, I was in a certain place in my life and I wrote this speech. The whole audience was like crying and it, and it became one of the most impactful speeches I've ever written or delivered to date. And it really was from a position of vulnerability. And now I, I, now I understand how to tap into that and, and how to create, I, I try to create relationships based on that, based on what we have in common. So, so David, you, I'm going to change, switch uh, gears here a little bit. You, um, so it looks like you were in the fashion industry for a while. Um, were you a model or were you behind the scenes? Uh, more behind the scenes. I actually, um, I did do a little bit of modeling, but just for friends. Like I didn't pursue it. It's if I had like a friend who was a designer or somebody, I'd, I would be like, okay, cool. But, um, I started off just in retail, honestly, selling, uh, you know, Robin egg blue cashmere sweaters, $400 a pop to gay men in the West village. And it was very lucrative. Benton? Um, and, and, 
<laughs> Ralph Lauren. Ralph Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was a great way for me to meet people and, and um, network. And so, and then I started getting into more visuals and like interior aesthetics and, you know, merchandising and, and um, interior design stuff and then concept design. And I think I realized that I don't give a damn about fashion. In fact, I, I loathe fashion. But I care deeply about style, and style pervades all manner of living. You know, you have a style to how you sleep, even. You know, write, think, talk. Um, and style is is fun, and it's what you know what's what makes us different and unique and um, interesting. So I got burnt out on that and was ready to get out of it. But that was my first real realizing realization that I really love visual spatial uh, relations. I, I really love design, and I really love. Um, you know, uh, 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 the experience that you have in a, in a human created space, nice. you know, whether that's clothes or especially a room or a house. Mm-hmm. And so after, after that, you said you moved to back to Nashville with the opportunity of opening a bar, I think you said, uh, after New York, I went to Uganda, oh, I lived yes. in Uganda okay. from a year. What yeah. did you do in Uganda for a year? Um, helped expand an orphanage, um, and kind of helped like source a medical clinic and, create a soccer program and, um, you know, re like renovate the, um, housing for the kids and just do a lot of things I was horribly underqualified for, but, um, did you, was, did you do that experience? Did you do that with an agency or how, who did you hook up with? Yeah. So I looked at Peace Corps and a couple other things and the, <clears throat> the, the lack of control of knowing where you're going to be plugged into is really, didn't vibe well with me. I mean, really in short, you could say I didn't have the courage or the minerals for that uh, at the time. But I, so I just started poking around and, and inquiring. Minerals. <laughs> laughing at the minerals. Yeah, <laughs> the minerals. Never coming. heard it put that way before. I like it. Right that one <laughs> Me <down>. too. <laughs> Sorry, David. Go ahead. That's all right. Um, yes. So I, I just started talking to people and, and I knew. Um, um, Scott, who started Charity Water, which is a beautiful, oh, yeah. beautiful organization yeah. in, um, in New York, and then met some of the, or knew some, some of the people affiliated with Invisible Children. So uh, it's actually a random connection from a friend I went to college with, who basically a girl from Dallas who is, you know, wealthy and going to be the heir to a lot of money, has a big heart and, want, and wants to do good. She's a really hard worker. She set up a nonprofit. And so it was really small and it ha- I had an opportunity. I started, I did a lot of research going in, right? And I did a lot of, I'm, I'm very interested in um, anthropology and, you know, just again, cultures. And, and so I was trying, was like very idealistic at the time. Oh, I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to avoid all these pitfalls that Westerners go into a new country, do it, you know? So I was really... I didn't want to just be another Western white person plugged into a system um, that is just, you know, churning through. And I wanted to have some control over the way I interacted with people and, you know, the level of intimacy I was able to cultivate. And so it was just, it was a really small, it's four Americans, um, again, all of us horribly underqualified, going over to kind of set up all these programs and, and really establish this, this uh, connection between the resources here in the States and this, you know, underfunded a Ugandan man and woman who'd started taking in street kids for the past like 10 years and had like 40 kids at the time. And, and there was still a great need for more. So, wow. 
Very cool. Um, it's interesting the connections you have too. So, so after Uganda, you know, I, I need to stop and say Mark would have loved this this interview. It's too bad that he's not here to, to participate. Um, so, so then you. So, I, I want to get to the story that was a total disaster and dig into that a little bit. Before um, we do, I just got an email from Mark. What did he say? He said he wants to clarify that technology, not booze, stopped me from joining the podcast from Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> so he wants to make sure that we're not conveying him as some booze-laden lush. lush in Vegas and abandoning us for naked poolside. Okay, so well, when the record is, is straight. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so so tell us the story of the disaster that happened. Was it? It was in Nashville, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was a okay. natural. What what um, happened there? It was a bar, isn't? Yes, th- aren't those sort of two terminologies? Yes, <laughs> it is definitely an inherent <laughs> quality of a bar. Alcohol, <laughs> money, women. Yeah, can't go wrong. Exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Okay, keep going. Sorry, I'm on a roll. No, that's okay. Yeah, this doesn't invite dysfunction. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and vices. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so you'll kind of a little bit answer your question, but no, it was. Uh, it was, I mean, I, I don't want to, um, it w- I'll just say this. It was several, the partners did not have a clear united goal. There was a lot of chiefs and big personalities and, and strong opinions about how things should be done. And there was not anything written down. So there wasn't like, you know, a good operating agreement or good, there just wasn't, the expectations weren't laid forth in writing. So you just, and, and none, of the, none of the partners, or like maybe I think one of them lived here. So uh, apart from me, so one, you had these, these men from, you know, from New York who just didn't, um, weren't really here. And it just, it was just like, you know, I don't know. It was just like a, this, ah, I don't know, just like a lot of ego. There was a lot of ego. There was a lot of, you know, pride. There was a lot of, um, just like I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm not going to communicate it. And I don't really care about, uh, how it affects other people or the greater good of the operation. So, and, and, you know, part of it was me caring too much about something that wasn't mine. It was me taking responsibility for things that weren't my responsibility. It was, you know, it was also not having the authority, some authority that I needed to run the actual operation because I was the, the GC director of operations. And so it was just like, this kind of, you know, perfect storm amalgamation of all these different things that just, um, yeah, just no, not, not a plan, not things written down, not like kind of business one-on-one things that you do, even if you're going into business with people you've known since you were a kid. So, um, and it would just like, there was something about Nashville cause I, I was like a, you know, like a high school football star. And so I had this like weird kind of and I wasn't, I wasn't aware of this. And this is part of the, what sent me into my, you know, introspection time is like, I kind of had this built up ego and expectations of Nashville. Like I'm going to be a hero and I'm going to come back and have all my ducks in a row and know all things and be able to help everybody out and answer all these questions. And that's just, that's ridiculous. That's a just, that's a really, <laughs> that's really, my plan though. <laughs> God. Damn it! My plan sucks. Exactly. I mean, it's ludicrous. You know, it wasn't like conscious. I wasn't conscious of how you know egotistical and and arrogant that was. But 
it is. It's both those things, and and it's just it's ridiculous. So, and like you said, the the, the vulnerability thing. I've realized how empowering that is um, to share that and to be open with that. And actually, Andrew Morrison um, last year and during his talk in the um, at the Jamboree, he said defined power as standing openly in your vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And that really resonated with me. And, and I think it's, it echoes what you just said earlier, Michelle. And, and so I didn't have any of that. I had more this, this like status thing. I'm going to be this, or I'm going to do that. Or pe- I need people to see me this way. This is who I am as this successful, have it all together guy. And like, no, I don't have any problems and I don't need help from anybody. And just these, a lot of these, the messaging we get from our society, um, that had just been so ingrained in me and it didn't help that I was in a, in an industry that, that feeds all those things. And it really, you know, um, is, is really, uh, fueled by a lot of those things. So that, I mean, does that answer your question? Yeah, it was, it's, and so, um, so you had this experience where the thing kind of fell apart and then what did you go through as an introspective practice or approach that had you come out the other side as who you are today? Yeah. So, um, at first I just, I felt like, you know, just this shame and feelings of failure and, and like all this self-conscious kind of, you know, just being self-conscious. And, um, I, so I, I started just reading some self-help books. Um, I did actually, believe it or not, uh, t- Tony Robbins personal power Two, um, <laughs> which like I, Tony Robbins is a little, a little intense. Um, and <laughs> Just a little, little. emotional, <laughs> but like, I, but I was really like, I, I'm, and, and then so practicing the mindfulness, right, and the meditation, and it was really that the the first kind of turning point for me in that was learning to see my own judgments, right, and learning to see how in just these unconscious inherent judgments that I have for people for things, and so it really gave me a shift. I was able to start harvesting the information and the data from a book or from a speaker or from a person and not like pay attention to all the things that annoyed me. Like, you know, listening to personal power too is like embarrassing. I would have goosebumps and my, my face would be blushing and sweating. I was so embarrassed. But, but, you know. Justifiably, by the way, <laughs> right, exactly. can't believe you that this is like the ultimate confession on a podcast. <laughs> totally. Right? I, I cannot believe that I'm confessing this on a podcast. This is Tony Robbins saved my life. Exactly. <laughs> he helped me so, know but, but it was really useful. Honestly, it's a, it's a great exercise and the exercises in that are good. And then, and you know, I, uh, four-hour work week was really uh, instrumental. I read uh, The Art of Learning by Jeff Waitzkin and uh, got really into Sam Harris and um, just, you know, like all the, the seven habits of highly effective, all these some of these seminal classics and just, um, yeah, really, and really practicing them and, and humble and being patient. I'm not a patient person naturally. Mm-hmm. And so just learning to be present in a, in a situation to look at my own thoughts and my own experiences without judgment um, and to look at other people's own opinions and thoughts and, and actions without judgment. Um, and of course, failing all the time at that, but, but just act actively pursuing that, you know, consistently, mm-hmm. it does, it does do wonders. Mm-hmm. So it was just, a, it was a slow process of, of just of humbling. And interestingly enough, you know, my, ability to just embrace myself and be myself unselfconsciously yeah. just be okay with that 
it became more prevalent. I was able to do that more than ever before. And I actually, from that, got more confidence than I've ever had before. And it made, you know, led me to, to realize that like, there is no true confidence without true humility. And, and that's, I don't know, that was just like a really empowering thing, just the vulnerability thing. Just the, we're all humans, you know, we're, we're all, nobody knows what's going on. You know? <laughs> we're trying to figure it out as we go. Mm -hmm. um, and it's better if we, we help each other out than, you know, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get famous or I'm going to do this for me. You know, I just, and that stuff really grosses me out. Right on. You brought up uh, Andrew Morrison um, and, and sort of his approach to life. I, I want to call attention to his post on Facebook yesterday. And it was, it was, I love you. I love you all. I love my friends. I love my acquaintances. I love the human race. I just want to. I accept you for who you are and where you are. And it's funny because he has the type of persona that he can say those kinds of things and it doesn't come across as contrived. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you know that he lives and that he walks and that he sort of uh, embodies that philosophy. And I think he's a great influence <coughs> on the tiny house movement. And I'm, and uh, you paid close attention to his speech. I'm impressed. <laughs> That's yeah. I agreed taking, on, on Andrew. Yeah, exactly. Taking notes. So, so I, I have to ask kind of the glaring question, David, and I know you're going to take this in stride. Um, <clears throat> you come from your, your father, I think is, and his name is Eddie. Is that yeah, right? Correct. Handsome man himself, I must say. Um, he, he served very well, um, disadvantaged communities. Um, you, your first foray at a tiny house is what I, 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 and I think these words don't even get close, but like ultra luxury stunning. tiny house. Yeah. Stunning, beautiful tiny house. Stunning. Um, the pictures of your friends, you know, you're, you're basically all white people in the same age range. It looks like, um, are you, are you planning to do anything to, uh, and it's not an indictment. It's just a, a question. Are you planning to do something to help? Uh, minorities or other disadvantaged people experience the liberation that comes from living in a tiny house? Yes. So great question. I really am very thankful you asked that question because uh, that's, that's the most important question, I think, or one of them for sure. So um, stepping back a little bit, looking at the obstacles to uh, what makes um, living in a tiny home available and attainable to the most number of people, mm -hmm. right? Who, who it serves the most, who need mm -hmm. that affordable housing, right? It's the, the main two things are, are zoning, you know, land and, and customer financing, right? So yeah. those are, those require the, um, decision-making of institutions that move unbelievably slowly right. and are un like government, you know, yeah. and, and financial lending institutions. So, um, that that change is going to come slow. Looking at Nashville, which is where I have to start here because this is where I am. And even though I have, you know, you know, you have a national market with the internet, but but I really, the the opportunity for me to affect change uh, most immediately is here in Nashville. It's mm -hmm. developing the relationships with council people, with neighborhood people, with planning, with coding, with codes, with zoning, with the mayor's department. So, the the way I stepping back and looking, how can I affect change the best? Well. The stigma of things on trailers is really bad. It's like, you know, the, the rules and the zoning against having an RV or living in an RV is, you know, is to keep, you know, uh, poor people from, you know, cheating the system and, and the taxes and whatever and people concerned about their property values and all these, all these things. So 
the the way I see like and without without financing, even forty thousand dollars is a huge amount of yeah, money. Yeah, right? it is. Yeah, and so the way the way I see it is this: is like one, I I can't I I won't compromise quality, and I won't compromise. Um, the durability of my product, and I, I'm a lot, honestly a lot of the tiny homes I've seen that are a little bit lower prices. I'm concerned about the you know the, the durability of those in five, ten, fifteen years. But that's a, that's a side note. the the whole The whole do it yourself movement is beautiful and wonderful, and I'm obviously for that. I decided to. That's what inspired me to do what I'm doing. But that's not going to get codes and zoning changed, right? right? It's it's by adhering to the to the code set forth. It's by doing things above water. It's by, you know, catering to what needs to be done to keep a, a city safe and what needs to be done to keep neighbors happy and what needs to be done to really positively affect the community. And so, doing like just factoring in all these things and a lot of other things, I, I realize like, okay, I, I want to do as much as I can to bring in the naysayers and let them walk through and see that this house is built better than their houses. Mm-hmm. Um, even if, even though it's a three quarter of a million dollar house and I want to build this above ground with codes above way and above codes. I want to over engineer these things so that those traditional concerns and fears of, Oh, it can't be for this. Oh, it can't be for that. Um, you know, or, or you don't have this, don't have that are, are mute or moot or irrelevant. They don't apply. So just to kind of went over those naysayers. Now, I'm what I haven't said, and I haven't said this really on the website either. Is I'm definitely working actively with council people in Nashville with codes to try to bring something like you know our version of a Fresno ordinance. Try to try to legal to create a tiny home community because again, the ultimate thing for me, if I was in this, I'm not in this business to make you know to 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 capture as much value for my time and effort as possible. I mean, honestly, people should know that. Tiny home builders, though they're really popular, it's it's a hard way to make a living. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we've like, talked with a lot of them, and that is the case. Yeah, you know, it's like ten times more customization time and energy mm-hmm. for ten times less money. Mm-hmm. And so, so um, even though they they do seem some of them do seem expensive, you just need to understand in a macroeconomic sense, in a larger sense, they're very much not. So, um, the yeah, so that's that's what, and that's really my my goal and mission. So I, I worked with a, a wonderful organization called Thistle Farms and they, um, it's, it's pretty, pretty well renowned now, nationally known, but, um, the woman who started it is, is wonderful, but they, they basically take women, um, who are from, you know, battered, just terrible circumstances, usually were in prison and they provide them housing and then they provide them a job and they make products with with flowers and herbs and natural things that are then sold and so they give them a, a you know skills life skill sets they give them an income they, they teach them you know budgeting and, and just the skill sets that they never had exposure to and it's so beautiful and inspiring and i volunteered during that whole introspective time i volunteered there for about you know six months and <clears throat> they have a housing arm too but that that's a dream of mine is to be able to like creative housing program for them that utilizes tiny houses and in, in like in a tiny house community to, to allow them to have, you know, to own a home to, and to work in some way to own a home. So even though it seems like, you know, the, the, and it, it's, a, it's an existential crisis for me because the whole luxury thing is like, it's a toy for rich people. That's the opposite of what my ultimate exactly. end game is. Exactly. But, but when you, and I'm willing to take the hit on 
what people in the movement or purists are like, oh, that's bullshit. He, da, da, da. I'm willing to take that hit temporarily if what it get, gains is more access by more people in the in the long run. Yeah. And, and that's, I, you know, I research a lot and I'm really a nerd about data and demographics and macroeconomics. And this is just the way that I, I see to be the best, the highest and best way to to allow, to, to allow these things to be accessible and attainable to the most people. The well, that's, that's how Elon Musk is doing with Tesla. I mean, his first totally. car was six figures and he's working down. To, now he's at a five figure car and he'll probably come down even lower eventually. Um, but so, so the, how much is this? So it looks like you're offering this tiny house for sale, the one you built. Kind of. It's, it's, I, so like I built it, you know, for myself originally, but I need to be in the city, um, need to live in the city and I, you can't live in one permanently and I could do it illegally, but that's kind of counterproductive to what I'm trying to do, which mm -hmm. is be transparent mm -hmm. with, you know, the city and do things above board and mm -hmm. not, not piss them off, um, in any way and to show my respect and gratitude for the hard work that they have to do. Cause it is really hard work working in the government and, fielding everyone's complaints and mm -hmm. all that. Um, so yes, that, I mean, they, that, the alpha model is I'm working on coming up or just not coming up with, but getting down into SketchUp and into a 3d model, uh, me and my partner, Zach, um, who is, I haven't mentioned in this, but he's also an important part of this whole process. Very important part. Um, but he's a, he's a technical wizard and he's a full scale builder. Um, so he brings a level of expertise, uh, and experience that's really without parallel that I've seen in the tiny house builder world. Um, but we, we want to come up with a couple of different, uh, like 3d models of the different floor plans we have for the alpha and then a couple of different standard models too. Um, and yeah, I mean, did that answer your question? So I'm kind of, I'm living in it part time. Yeah. So okay. So so it sounds like your your intent is to get to the disadvantaged um, communities, and there's a whole lot more to unpack around that. Like, are they even going to want to live in tiny houses compared to when they look in mainstream society? And most people are still living in mansions. How do you overcome the the value shift that's necessary to get someone into one of these. But unfortunately we're, we're out of time. <laughs> so <laughs> this has been a fascinating show and we've really enjoyed you being a part of it. And we would love to have you on another time, maybe in about six months and see where you're at. How's that sound? That sounds great. It's and been, I, yeah, on, sorry. <laughs> oh, no worries. Are you going to the Jamboree? I'll be at the Jamboree. I'm not, I won't have a home there, but I will be attending personally. Okay. Well, we'll definitely want to shake your hand when we're, when we see you. I Absolutely. don't know if he's going to be able to find me, though. Oh, he'll find you. <laughs> <laughs> You're the, aren't you the MC? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it, it, he, he may have difficulty finding me and Mark, but you will be out in the open. <laughs> anyway, um, listeners, thanks again, for, as always, for spending your time listening to another Tiny House podcast. We hope you have found this one as interesting as um, we have. And uh, look inspiring. Inspiring, too. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. And since Mark isn't here... We're not able to tell you who's <laughs> coming up. Actually, we don't know who's coming up next. We don't know we don't who's coming up next. <laughs> Again, we're just we're just running. <laughs> we're we're running so fast we can't keep up with ourselves. With ourselves. Anyway, have a great have a great week, Tiny Housers. And Bye. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sitecast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating or whatever. 
you tiny house loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon.